You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Thanks be to God. Um, thank you so much, Alice. Um, yes, I can't speak Mandarin, even though I'm sort of half Chinese. My dad was born in China. True story. Um, I, I've also got a story which I won't share now, but I'll share it during the Two Ways to Live training about how I got to share in Mandarin, um, someone, teach someone in Mandarin how to do Two Ways to Live. There you go. I'll tell you that story on a couple Wednesdays night at the mission training event. Um, but as Dave said, uh, it was um, Sarah and I six-year wedding anniversary yesterday. Big shout out to the girls who babysat slash had a Harry Potter reunion party at our house. Uh, so thankful to you girls. Um, if anyone ever wants to have a Harry Potter reunion party at our house, you're more than welcome. Sarah and I might not be there though. Uh, but anyway, Sarah and I went out last night for our um, for our anniversary, actually to a Chinese restaurant. There you go, to Happy Boy. Um, restaurant in the valley. Anyone been that? Hands up emoji if anyone has been there before. Can recommend it. Um, but after eating the, the banquet meal at Happy Boy, I'll tell you what, I was uh, I was a very happy boy. <laughs> um, but one thing, one thing though, Sarah and I, we regularly pray for our marriage and also for our girls is that we would be making disciples. Um, but you know, sometimes I'm I'm realizing I'm hearing this word disciple and discipleship get thrown around a bit. It's a bit of a buzzword. It it can sort of become um, you know Christian jargon or Christianese, as I like to, to to say. You know, if I were to ask you though, what is a disciple? How would you answer that question? You know, maybe you would say, well, a disciple that they're, they're one of the original followers of Jesus. You know, there were twelve disciples or you know, 11 after Judas caved in. And under a disciple, it's not talking about Christians today. That's kind of an old school thing. Or maybe you'd say, no, no, a disciple is a mature Christian. You know, maybe you become a Christian and after a while, then you get to move on towards discipleship. Or maybe you might say it's like a hardcore Christian. You know, there's the regular plebs like us, then, then there's the disciples. They're the full on ones. But maybe if you've been around churches for a little while, you might say it's someone who follows Jesus. That's right. That, that last definition, helpful. It's a, a Christian, a disciple is someone who follows Jesus. A follower of Jesus is just another way of saying a Christian. You know, Jesus, he never used that word Christian. Instead, he says, come follow me. Be my disciple. Be a learner of me. Do as I do. Say as I say, become more and more like me. In fact, the first words that Jesus says to one of his closest friends, Peter, the apostle Peter, are, come follow me. In Mark 1, he calls him out of the boat to be a fisher of men. He says, come follow me. And then in fact, the last words Jesus says to Peter in John 21, after Peter's denied him three times, he reinstates him. His last words are, follow me. And so this series, uh, The Great Commission, we're looking at, it's probably one of my favorite passages in the Bible, and yet it's the most one of the most challenging as well. We're going to look this morning in particular what it means to be a disciple, what it means to be a follower of Jesus. 
It's the, the, these words. We see uh, his last words to his OG original 11 followers. You know, these guys, they were literally following Jesus. They gave up jobs as fishers, as tax collectors, leaving behind their family businesses to go and follow the physical Jesus from town to town. But these words, they're, they're far more than just commandments to you know, 11 Middle Eastern blokes 2,000 years ago. The Bible is one great story describing the story of, story of humanity. And we today in 2022 are included as part of that story. See, from the beginning of the Bible, way back in Genesis 1, we see that God has a plan to make humanity in His image. Uh, if we keep moving to Genesis 12, we see a blessing that God gives to Abraham to, 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 to be a blessing to all nations through this one family. And if you've read much of the Old Testament, you'll see that uh, God's people, it's pretty much just one big failure. Man, even Abraham stuffed up multiple times, pretending that his wife was his sister. But God's people, time and time again, they kept failing to keep the covenant that God had established with them. That's not because they were this sort of ancient backward people that were morally depraved. No, no, they were just like us. They chose the world over God. And so what happened? Well, God, he sends Jesus from that family, from the line of Abraham, not as a plan B, but that was God's intention all along uh, to, as a better blessing to the world. Jesus, he came so that the world can have life and life to the full, not just life for, for here and now, but for eternity. And so Jesus, he commissions us to be his disciples, the church, to go to the world as we've seen over the last couple of weeks, not as this militaristic crusade, but through the power of God to make disciples, to make Christians all over the world. Uh, as Kevin DeYoung uh, says, we've looked at this quote over the last couple of weeks, but it's a cracker, so I'm going to use it again. It should pop up on the screen. God does not send out his church to conquer. He sends it out in the name of the one who has already conquered. We, we, only, we go only because He reigns. God has already conquered through Christ, through the triumphant resurrection. We've defeated death if we trust in Him. We don't go out to try and kind of establish God's plan. No, no, it's already been established. He's co-opting, co-missioning us into His incredible plan. And so with that just in, in mind, let's, let's look again at verse 18. Loved hearing in Mandarin. It was a great reminder of the global church. There's more Christians in China than any other nation in the world. Praise God for China. Uh, but let's, um, let's read with me. Come with me to verse 18 of, of Matthew 28. Uh, if you've got a Bible, grab it. Uh, Jesus, uh, Jesus came to them, verse 18. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. So two weeks ago, we looked at verse 18 in particular. Who is it that's giving these commands? It's Jesus, the one who's conquered, is being given all authority by the Father. Uh, last week, we saw that given that Jesus has all authority, he gives us his weighty command to go. Uh, for the Christian, that means we got to go, to look across the room, across the street, maybe even across the world to make more followers of Jesus. But the question still remains, what does it actually mean 
to be a follower of Jesus? What is the goal of a disciple? We're going to see three things uh, this morning. As disciples, this is what it is. We need to learn from Jesus. We need to listen to Jesus and lead others to Jesus. So firstly, we learn from Jesus. Number one, we learn from Jesus. See, a Christian disciple, they're not one that just decides to to make better moral choices or even one who subscribes to a different set of religious practices or who was born into a religious family. No, a disciple literally means a student. You know, in the world, in, in secular context, we use this word disciple sometimes. You know, it's the boss that, that takes the employee or the apprentice under their wing. Uh, if you follow cricket, you know, Steve Smith has his disciple, Manas Labashagne. And you know, Tim Cook was under Steve Jobs. Kim Kardashian, she has 281 million followers. You know, many disciples whom, who want to look like her, talk like her, dress like her. A Christian disciple, it's one though that has a posture that's always learning. It's as though when we become a Christian, we have to go back to prep. And here's the thing. Uh, we don't graduate. As Christians, we're always at school. We're always learning. In the world, uh, the apprentice might one day become the boss. Um, in cricket, Manus is actually ranked higher than Steve Smith at the moment. Tim Cook, he's taken over from Steve Jobs. And maybe you could be the next Kim Kardashian. I'm not going to pray for that, but who knows, it may happen. Uh, But you or I, we could never be Jesus. See, Jesus, He is our Master. He is our Lord. He will always be above us. He will always be supreme. And until He returns or calls us home, we're always needing to be learning from Him. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Philippians uh, chapter 3. Philippians Chapter 3, it's between Ephesians and Colossians. The way I memorize it is G-E-P-C, Galatians eat pork chops. There's a a pun there if you know your Galatians there. But Philippians chapter 3, turn with me uh, to verse 8. See, Paul, the Apostle Paul who who writes this, um, he's outlined his spiritual nature, his spiritual resume, things that make him look impressive before men. But check out what he says. In verse 8, he says, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. See, Paul gets it. Despite all of his worldly achievements, were actually were pretty impressive. He considers them garbage compared to knowing Christ. Uh, you know, uh, tomorrow, actually, it's our council cleanup. We've got a bunch of garbage up on the street. Paul considers all his works rubbish compared to knowing Jesus. And Paul, he's not just learning facts about Jesus, though that's important. He's knowing him personally. Why? We'll keep reading. What's this goal? Verse 9. That I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness that comes from of my own, that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, so that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So by knowing Jesus, we gain him, we're found in him, no longer lost, but rescued, no longer dead, but alive. So for the Christian, 
the disciple. They become like Jesus. They're rescued from death through his death and raised to life as Christ was raised to life. To be a disciple is to be united with Christ, sharing in his blessings. And if we keep reading uh, in verse 12, uh, Paul says, Not that I've already obtained all this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Paul knows Christ. He's saved by Christ. He doesn't need to do anything to make him more right with God. Or, but because he's his disciple, because he is a disciple, a follower of Jesus, he's a Christian, he wants to continually know Jesus more. So this is the, the first, the foundational step, but it's an ongoing step in following Jesus. It's, it's learning from him. To be a follower of Jesus, we need to learn from him. But what does that mean? Well, Dave, he's, he's used this before, but this is how God speaks to us. He speaks to us through the Bible. You know, we don't have to guess or speculate what Jesus is like. You know, over the last hundred years or so, there's been a, a thing, a movement. Uh, it kind of arose particularly in the 70s called the quest for the historical Jesus. You know, if we sift through history, if we kind of peel back behind the Bible, we can see who the real Jesus is, you know, try to find out what he's really like, you know, without moving away from the bias of this kind of Christian document. You know, and for some of us, spirituality, it becomes very subjective and individual. Um, you know, hands up if you've heard of the term or put up an emoji if you've heard the term spiritual, but not religious. Spiritual, but not religious. Yeah, a few of you. Spiritual but not religious. You know, it's becoming more popular. You know, many of us, we kind of like the idea of Jesus. We, we, we want him to, to fit into our broader worldview. And then we can sort of speculate about how he might help us along in our spiritual journey. Friends, we don't need to speculate. We've been given the book. This is who Jesus is. He's shown us here in these words about what he is like. He has spoken to us through the word. Yes, we need to obey his commands. We'll get to that. But first, we need to know them. And even more than that, we need to know him, the one who gives the commands. His disciples, they're followers of Jesus. Friends, do you know Jesus? Some of you this morning, you don't know him. You know, Maybe you know things about him. Maybe you've been around churches for a while, or maybe you're new to church. Welcome. So glad you're here. But can I just say, Jesus, he's offering the invitation to you. He wants to know you. He wants to be in a relationship with you. He died and rose to life so that you can have purpose and hope and forgiveness and reconciliation with the creator of the universe. He wants you to follow him. Friends, some of us this morning, we, we do know him, and yet we've drifted. We've sought knowledge elsewhere. Not that there isn't other wisdom to be found in the world, but our lives, if we're honest with ourselves, they're not really shaped by this book. Really, what drives us is career, or body image, or financial goals, or fitness, or relationships, for others, maybe we do want to follow Jesus and yet we're just trying to do the Christian life on our own. 
and in particular, kind of in this weird Zoom church kind of era, it's kind of more and more tempting to sort of push in individualistically and try and do it all on our own. Friends, learning from Jesus, discipleship, it's not just a solo affair, but it's a community project. Now, they say it takes a village to to raise a baby, but it also takes a village, a church, to raise a Christian. Following Jesus means we need people in our corner. We need to be learning from each other. You know, historically, uh, the church hasn't actually revolved around personal Bible reading. You know, in fact, for most of history, people couldn't read. Uh, and Christians, that includes them. Yes, now I'm not saying that personal Bible reading isn't important. Absolutely, it's important. But friends, we need others to be teaching us about Jesus and what it means to follow Him. Friends, if you're if you're being a Christian for more than a few years, you've got a responsibility. There's people at church that need your help. I'm going to give you um, some suggestions of encouragement at the end. Stay tuned for point three. So firstly, we've seen we need to learn from the master. We need to learn from Jesus. Secondly, we need to listen to Jesus. See, it's not just good enough to, to know, you know lots of facts or, or theology, to be able to research, recite Bible verses or even explain things. You need to actually listen. Um, you know, often, um, often Sarah will say to me, um, you know, hey, Mike, can you, can you put the bins out? You know, don't forget, you know, it's Monday night, bin night. And I'll be like watching TV or I'll be on my phone or something like that. And I'll be like, yeah, 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 no worries. And she'll be like, Mike, did you, did you hear what I said? And I'll, and I'll say to her, yeah, yeah, um, take the bins out. No worries, got it. Now, on one level, I'm listening and I'm hearing every single word she's saying. But what will happen? I'll go to bed and Sarah will be like, did you take the bins out? I'll be like, oh, and I'll run and I'll take the bins out. Or even sometimes, this has happened a couple of times, maybe it's happened to you. Uh, our bedroom's kind of near the street and I'll hear the bin truck. And I'll be like, damn, I forgot to take the bins out. And I'll kind of quickly run and I'll, I'll take the bin out and hopefully that the truck hasn't made its way up the hill so I don't have to deal with an extra week of garbage. You know, one level, we can sort of listen to things and we can sort of even be able to recite things. But it doesn't matter if I say, you know, I've heard the words, take the bins out, or even I've memorized them and I've even been able to recite them and recall them. See, what matters in that instance is not that I could just cognitively just process and say something. You know, I could even be part, you know, I could even be part of a small group of people. And, you know, imagine we get together in our lounge room and we talk about what it might look like if we actually put the bins out. We could even do that and discuss that. But what what matters in that situation is whether I actually took the bins out, whether I actually did it. Similarly, Jesus' brother, James, he says, faith by itself, if it doesn't have works, is dead. You know, um, what matters is not just listening cognitively, but actually doing what Jesus says. You know, we say to our daughter, you need to listen and obey. Uh, James says, uh, he goes on in James chapter 2, he says, You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Uh, Do you believe in the unity of God, James is saying? He's saying, you know, you've got good head knowledge, theology. Great. Well, James is saying, you're as good as a demon. (laughs) That's, That's not a great compliment. What he's asking there, what he's challenging us is, is your faith in action? 
If it's not, James is saying, it's dead. Back in Matthew chapter 28, uh, check out verse 20. Again, Jesus says, A disciple is one that teaches them to observe all that I've commanded you. Everything that Jesus commands is to be taught. Not just kind of in a lecture room, classroom, head knowledge, but in obedience. And that word observe there, uh, it literally means, some translations has obey, which is helpful as well, but it literally means uphold, protect. Uh, it's not even just keeping it ourselves, but it's, it's being a custodian for it for, so that future generations will know what it means to be a Christian, know what it means to be a disciple distinct from the world. Friends, this is hard. Jesus says uh, in Mark chapter 8, he's talking about the cost of discipleship. And he says that uh, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. And he goes on for whoever, verse 38, whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation Of him, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Being a Christian, being a follower of Jesus means denying yourself, taking up your cross, putting to death your old life, and actually not being ashamed of Jesus. Becoming a Christian, it's free. We receive the free gift of God, but it's also not cheap. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a German pastor um, in the mid-20th century, he famously was part of the attempt to assassinate Adolf Hitler. He wrote a great book called The Cost of Discipleship. And in it, he distinguishes between cheap and costly grace. Uh, He says this should pop up. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession. Absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. Church, sitting on a hill, are we in danger of falling for cheap grace? Saying, yeah, yeah, we're saved by grace, so it doesn't really matter what I do. We're forgiven, so we don't really need to repent. Friends, how seriously do you take your sin? Do you look to the life of Jesus and then look in the mirror and does it make you weep? When you see your Christian friends sin and stumble, does that bring you to prayer? Accountability. Or do you just look down on them and say, oh, I'm glad I'm not struggling with that? Or... Or maybe you just move on or or say, oh, that must be really hard for you and then do nothing about it. See, grace, it's not a justification of sin, but the sinner. Through Jesus Christ, through his grace, we sinners are justified. We are forgiven. We are made right with God. That's amazing news. We need to celebrate that. But, But it doesn't mean that sin we can just make excuses for. It doesn't mean we can justify and make excuses to keep on sinning. Brothers and sisters, if you were not a Christian, how different would your life look? What are the things that you have given up in order to follow Jesus? 
Do your bank statements look any different? What about your holidays? The way you spend your free time? Your Google search history? Are you less of a gossip? Do you use your words to build people up or tear them down? Here's what Bonhoeffer says about costly grace as opposed to cheap grace. He says, costly grace is the the gospel which must be sought again and again, the gift which must be asked for, the door at which a man must knock. Such grace is costly because it calls us to follow. And it is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It is costly because it costs a man his life. And it is grace because it gives a man the only true life. It is costly because it condemns sin and grace because it justifies the sinner. Above all, it is costly because it cost God the life of his son. Ye were bought at a price. And what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. What has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. Friends, uh, as Paul says in, two, in 1 Corinthians, you are bought at a price. God spends the life of his son in order to buy you, to make you friends with him. Grace, it's transforming through the power of sin. He convicts us to show us our sin and he gives us the tools to be able to live a life in obedience to follow him. What is a disciple? What do we do with this? Well, there's a whole bunch of applications, but, but directly, even from the text that we're looking at, Matthew 28, back in verse 19, what's the mark of a disciple? Uh, it's to get baptized. Uh, Jesus says that if you're a follower of Jesus, get baptized. You know, we'll have some dates this year. Um, it's easy to make excuses why you're not baptized. I became a Christian so long ago. I, I need to make sure I can invite all my friends. You know, I want to grow as a Christian before getting baptized. I need to look into it more. COVID. Um, friends, let's, let's not make excuses about this in 2022. Uh, let's get baptized. But this is just the first point of, of becoming a Christian or of being obedient. After that, it's about a whole life of obedience. It's about looking different to the world. If we follow Jesus, it means he's our Lord, not just our Savior. You know, some of you, um, you've, you've given the keys to Jesus to the front room of your house. On the outside, you look like a respectable Christian. You, know, you even go to church, you even go to Zoom church. Well done, I'm making it to Zoom church. You know, maybe you even put a Bible verses on your social media or around your, your house. You know, maybe you even pray the right prayers in gospel community group. But if you were to look a little bit deeper into your house, into your bedroom perhaps, you don't want Jesus there invading that space. That's private. You know, you say you're saved by grace, so I don't have to change at this point. Or into the study where your laptop is. No, no, that's kind of my personal time. Jesus isn't Lord over my laptop. Friends, you're saved by grace. You don't have to be obedient to earn his salvation, his favor. That's already happened. But in response to being bought by a price, he calls us, he co-missions us to a life of obedience. To be a follower of Jesus, we need to learn from Jesus. Secondly, we need to listen to Jesus. And thirdly, finally, we need to lead others to Jesus. Being a disciple is about making more disciples. 
you know, it doesn't kind of end in our sort of personal walk with God. Remember when I was 19, I was an impressionable teenager. I got caught up in essentially what was a pyramid scheme, or if you want a more nuanced term, multi-level marketing. Uh, Maybe you've heard that before, MLM. Uh, Now, someone approached me and said, hey, if you just ring all of your friends, uh, even if just a quarter of them sign up to this and they do the same, you can have a passive income so you'll never have to work another day in your life. Does that sound good? I'm like, great, that sounds amazing. Where do I sign up? And that's the way that a pyramid scheme works. You know, if you sign up, um, you know, the person who recruited you gets a kickback, you recruit some friends, you get a kickback, they get a big kickback, and so on and so on, and the movement multiplies. Now, on one level, discipleship is a great big pyramid scheme. If I make a disciple and then they make a disciple, they tell their friends, it, it's exponential growth. That's how the church grows. And and historically, the church has boomed uh, over short spaces of time exponentially, sort of like a pyramid scheme. You know, there's been people in our church that have become Christians in the last 12 months. Praise God. And they're super excited. They want to be telling their friends and their family. And they've been bringing their friends to church. They've been sharing Jesus. And the movement has grown. Amazing. However, unlike a pyramid scheme, Discipleship, it's not a dodgy scam. Ultimately, it's all about God's glory, not yours. It doesn't get you cash. It gets you kingdom treasure, treasure in heaven. But discipleship, it's also a lot more complex uh, than a pyramid scheme. You know, it's not just simply one person sharing with one person who shares with one person who shares with one person, though God can do that. But typically, it it takes a village to raise a disciple, a church community to raise a Christian. Now, as a church, uh, we have the opportunity, and I've been so encouraged by the opportunities we have to to shape each other. Uh, It's been a privilege. I've only been with you guys a year, and yet to be able to walk with you, and and you have impacted my walk with Jesus. So thank you. Uh, We've got the opportunity, though, to be teaching each other, not just about Jesus, but to actually obey Jesus. In our post-church conversation, I mean, even in our Zoom room today, um, in, the, in the ways that we interact with each other throughout the week and, and sending each other encouragements over WhatsApp, Facebook. How good was it hearing Corinne and Women's GC do that? We've got opportunities to, to do this. Discipleship, it, it involves breadth. Now, we've talked about this over the last couple of weeks. We want to be reaching outwards and even beyond the walls or the virtual walls of our church, sharing Jesus with our neighbors, with our colleagues, our teammates, and even beyond our shores. Um, You know, Sarah's parents, um, a couple of weeks ago, they moved, left comfy Australia to go to Indonesia uh, to train, equip, and release local Indonesians to be on mission to the hundreds of different people groups in Indonesia, many of whom don't have a gospel presence. You know, in fact, there's one people group in Indonesia called the Sunda people, which has 35 million people, more than Australia, with its own language and culture, virtually no church or Christian witness. As Zach talked about last week, uh, the nations are also coming to Australia. More and more people and people groups are coming to Brisbane. This brings opportunity. You know, the least likely people uh, in Australia that want to talk about Jesus are white Anglo-Aussies. You know, they've heard it before. They don't think they need it. Uh, and yet also, do you know this, that 3% of Australians haven't even heard of Jesus. 3%. And a further 5% 
have maybe heard about Jesus, but don't know a single thing about him. That works out to be 2 million people. 2 million people in our country don't know a thing about Jesus. What an opportunity that God has called you right here in Brisbane to be part of his mission. And friends, this doesn't just automatically happen. Often many of these people don't interact with, um, with Christians. And so it ta- does take a bit of work, but graciously, God has brought them, at least physically, to our shores. And as borders open up, more and more people are going to be coming here that don't know a single thing about Jesus. God, he graciously calls us into his plans. But God doesn't have to use us. You know, God could have saved people just by zapping people and then they became a Christian and, and that, that, that could happen, right? And yet, historically, that's not how it happens. And, and from the Bible, the principles in the Bible, that's not how God primarily uh, plans on growing his church. He uses ordinary schmucks like you and I to spread his message. Discipleship it involves breadth, growing in number, but it also involves depth. Leading people to Jesus involves depth. Now, there's about 400 people at Sydney on a Hill, uh, Brisbane, you know, that call it their home church. That's great news. Praise God that it's moved from a living room six years ago to where it is today. But, you know, even if you're a raging extrovert like me, there's no way you can be friends with everyone. Uh, you know, I struggle sometimes with names, you know, especially with masks. Um, so sorry if I've forgotten your name. I forgot someone's name at church last week. Um, but we need to go deeper, not just broader, deeper with fewer. Deeper with fewer. You know, Jesus did this. Jesus, uh, he called in particular his 12 uh, to be sharing more life, teaching them more than the rest of his disciples. And even within the 12, he had a subgroup of three, of Peter, James, and John, that he went even deeper with. They got to experience things that the others did not. If you want to be like Jesus, if you want to follow Jesus, who are you going to invest deeply in 2022? If you're a parent, well, there's an obvious answer. It's your kids. Uh, it's your spouse. That's where your, primarily, your primary responsibility lies. Um, and, and what does that look like for you? How are you helping them, your family, learn from Jesus and learn about Jesus and even obey Jesus? How does the Bible shape your home life? Are you praying with and for your kids? What do those prayers look like? Now, I love, um, you know, I love that as a, as a church, we're committed to next generation ministry. I love the resources that Liv is putting out, the memory verse challenges. I love the commitment that many of you guys have as volunteers to give up your time and energy to serve the next generation. Uh, friends, we're more than just a physical family. We're a, we're a spiritual family. You know, I love as well that we, we're keen to be on mission to families that aren't Christian uh, through our youth in particular and kids clubs. You know, we love that we're a church that, um, that next week we're going to be getting together the families and we're praying and hanging out and doing community. I love that. Um, but let's think about adults for a second. Let's think about adults at church for a second. We're, you know, we're a young church. We've got lots of young adults at church. Who from, from church, who could you invest more deeply this year you know jesus had three in particular could you have one if you've been a christian for more than a few years we need you Uh, we're a young church both in age but also in christian maturity you know there is someone five years younger than you someone further back in their christian faith who needs help 
figuring out so they can avoid making the dumb mistakes that you and I made. You know, young people at church, they, they often ask me, is there someone older who could mentor me? I love that. I love those questions. You know, I know we're busy and we can't sort of do that for everyone, but maybe there's someone. Come chat to us. We'd love to help you, put you in touch. Who, who could you intentionally pray with, pray for, catch up with, uh, meet regularly? And as of this week, there's a younger guy at church who I, I said, I said, hey, I'd love to catch up with you. Read the Bible, pray for you, do that regularly. And over the years, I've been a Christian. I've found that one-to-one discipleship incredibly helpful. Uh, over the years, being a Christian, I've caught up with a whole bunch of people one-to-one and read the Bible and prayed and shared life and food and tears and joys. Can I encourage you, 2022, to, to consider asking someone out on a Bible date. No, that's not a romantic thing. It's just catching up. You know, men catch up with a, another man, you know, ladies, another lady. Catch up with them for a Bible date and just read God's Word together. Um, you know, we've got a whole bunch of resources and tools that we can help you do that. Um, and also, that they've done studies to show that actually many people are far more open to the idea of a Bible date than they are to coming along to church. Maybe you could catch up with a non-believer and read the Bible with before inviting them to something like church. Leading people to Jesus involves breadth, it involves depth. And so we've looked at this question. What does it mean to follow Jesus? Well, firstly, we need to learn from Jesus. Secondly, we need to listen and obey Jesus. And thirdly, we need to lead others to Jesus. This is the Great Commission. This is discipleship. You know, in a time uh, particular right now where there's great uncertainty in the world, here we see God's plans that will happen in the world. If we look at Revelation chapter 7, this is how the world is going to end. This is what's going to happen in the future. This is a picture of heaven. Uh, John says that after this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white, brand, in white robes with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Friends, through the Great Commission, God has been gathering people. He's gathering people from all nations so that one day they can be part of this eternal praise party. This is the picture of heaven. And because it's eternity, it means for you introverts that get overwhelmed by the idea of eternal praise party, there's plenty of time for recharging as well. This is what God is doing. He's gathering his people with you or without you. He will do this. And yet he, co he graciously commissions us to be part of his work. We're going to wrap up in, and we're going to sing in just a moment. But let me tell you a story that inspired the words of the song we're about to sing. Um, you know, about 150 years ago, uh, there was this great revival in Wales. And as a result, um, many missionaries, uh, they, they came to northeast India. Uh, to spread the gospel. Uh, and there was this region that was known as Assam, which was comprised of hundreds of, of tribes that would just kill people that weren't from their tribe. And, and so into these hostile, aggressive communities, there came a bunch of missionaries with a message of hope and love in Jesus Christ. And so they weren't welcome. They were killed. They were thrown out of villages. However, there was one missionary that succeeded in, in seeing a guy become a Christian. Uh, his family became, a Christian, became Christians, they became followers of Jesus, and through this family, uh, this, this family in this village, uh, th th this man's faith became contagious, and many villages became, uh, people from the village became to accept Jesus, 
and, and follow Jesus and turn and trust in Jesus. And so the village chief, he's like, what's happening? He gets all the villagers, village people together. And, uh, and then he calls the family who'd first converted to Christianity. And he says, you need to renounce your faith or face death. I'm going to kill you unless you recant. Moved by the Spirit, uh, this new Christian, he said, I have decided to follow Jesus. And, and the chief, he was enraged, and he ordered his archers to kind of fire their bows at his two children. And as both boys, they lay down, twitching on the floor, the chief asked, Will you deny your faith? And he killed the boys. And he said, you'll lose your wife too. The man replied, he said, though no one joins me, still I will follow. The chief was beside himself with rage and he, he ordered his wife to be shot down. And uh, in a moment she, di- she died and, and the two children died as well. And he asked for the last time, I'll give you one more opportunity to deny your faith and live. And in the face of death, uh, this man said this. He said, the cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back. He was shot dead like the rest of his family. But after their death, God worked a miracle. The chief who'd been ordering the killings, he was moved by the faith of this man. And he wondered, why should this man and his, two, his wife and two children, why should, why should he die for a guy who lived in a faraway land 2,000 years ago. There must be some remarkable power behind this man's faith. I too want a taste of that faith. And he decided, he declared too, I too belong to Jesus Christ. And when the crowd heard this from the mouth of the chief, the whole village accepted Christ as their Lord and Saviour. God is on work. He chooses to commission us to make disciples. Let me pray. Dear Lord Jesus, you are the master. May we learn first and foremost from you. Speak to us through your word. Change us, Holy Spirit. Make us more like Jesus. May we be a church that doesn't just know stuff about you, but is obedient to your word, especially when it's costly. We thank you that we aren't saved by our obedience, but may that not excuse us to be lazy. May we as a community care for each other spiritually in fresh new ways in 2022 so that we may know you more and that more people would know you jesus and in your precious name we pray amen thank you for listening to our podcast if you'd like to know more about our church or if you'd like to donate to the work of city on a hill please visit cityonahill.com.au